The Veterans Report is sponsored by James Cannon. Welcome to the Veterans Report, the region's only show dedicated to those who have served our country. We have the latest news and information on resources available to veterans, including health care, education, employment tips, local volunteer organizations, and more. To those who have served, those who are serving, and to those who will, we salute you. And now, the host of the Veterans Report, Jim Cannon. And welcome back to the Veterans Report. We appreciate you listening in today. We're going to take you through some news and some issues. A little bit of discussion on what's going on in the world of veterans. We also have with us this week a special guest, uh, Dr. Sarah Cass. And she is with Creative Forces, National Endowment for the Arts, Military Healing Arts Network. And Dr. Cass will be on uh, at about the halfway mark. So if you just tuned in, if you just started listening, uh, hang in there. It's it's a really cool initiative. It's a really, really neat project. Um, a joint effort by the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, Department of Defense, and the VA. And basically what they're doing, I'm not going to try to, I, I want to steal her thunder right off the bat, but basically what the project is, uh, it's a national thing. It's at 11 different locations around, uh, I believe, around the country, uh, primarily in military communities. And they're using different forms of the arts, plural, uh, as, a, as a means of therapy for troops or vets diagnosed with traumatic brain injury and facing other mental health uh, challenges. So it's, uh, you know, again, art and music and writing and dance and uh, all kinds of really neat stuff. So uh, she has a lot, of, a lot of information to go through, and it's going to be a good discussion so hang in there. Like I said, uh, Dr. Cass will be on at about the halfway mark. Uh, neat lady and and very knowledgeable. So it'll be it'll be good if you're a creative type person and you you know and you're thinking, man, I want to either maybe you're a vet, right, and you're a painter or a welder or woodworker or something, and you want to you want to impart that knowledge and wisdom onto other vets and you don't know how. She's going to walk through how to uh, sort of how to link up, how to network yourself back into that world uh or if you're if you're not a vet and you have those talents same thing right uh there's a way for you to participate and help out and i will say having seen this stuff firsthand uh in and around the district um in in dc it is having a great impact and it's it's positive it is a positive thing it's it's helping a lot of vets and it's a completely different outlet than uh than other forms of therapy and it's really cool so I don't want to beat this thing into the ground because it's going to be a fun interview. A lot of information, so hang in there, like I said, at the halfway mark. We do want to say hello to our friends and partners at WTF Nation Radio. Uh, Head over to their site, check out their content. Uh, You can check check it out on their website. You can hit them up on Twitter, or you can jump over to the WTF Nation Radio uh, Facebook page, which I suggest highly. Or as the drill instructor used to say, do it. Do it now, move. So, we've got a lot of news. A lot of stuff. Oh, I do want to cover the survey from this week. Because I, <laughs> I always seem to gloss over those or forget them or, or both. Or gloss over the fact that I forgot about it. Uh, where's the information? So, there was a, a radio, I guess a radio piece. Is that right? Radio story, radio piece. On WBUR... Like public radio, uh, and there's a guy named Howard Bryant, and what the piece looked at, I'm sure a lot of you have seen this topic covered before, but it has to do with 
how do I want to put it? Uh, sort of like the use of the military or the application of the military during major sporting events, professional sporting events. And uh, so, and it's not, he's critical. Kind of, well, he kind of walks the line on the criticism. It's not, it's not really critical. It's sort of asking the questions, right? Asking those probing questions, um, obviously leading down that path of being critical. But he goes on into great detail about how much money the military has spent on certain things. Like, uh, well, well, for instance, you know, years ago, he'd go to a sporting event years ago, right? go to a sporting event, a football game or whatever, a hockey game, and maybe they'd have somebody go out there with the flag. Maybe they'd have a couple of local, you know, reservists or National Guard folks go out there and, and you know, as a color guard, right? regular size flag. Everybody, you know, do the Star Spangled Banner, uh, start the game. That has morphed, especially after 9-11, right? It has morphed into this thing where now they have, you know, football flags that cover up entire football fields, Football? Did I say f- football flag? Oh my god! They <laughs> they have flags. See, this is, I'm trying to read, and I've also got the the phone next to me, and I'm trying to do the mic thing. Um, let me start that again. So now that has morphed after 9/11 into having flags the size of football fields, and no longer do you have just your basic color guard. You have an, an entire contingent out there, right? Uh, putting on basically a show, like a small show. And he talks about that. He talks about, uh, you know, the meet and greets. Some organizations have charged money so that people could uh, meet celebrities as part of their integration into the whole military thing at whatever the event is, which is uh, astounding to me, just astounding. Um, You know, if anything, people should be shaking the hands of the the military folks, not the celebrities at these things. But, I, you know... Um, anyway, so he goes into, into detail about that. Um, really cool piece though. So if you haven't really thought about that, like, man, how did we get to the point where, you know, we literally, they used to have one person, like I remember old boxing matches, right? When, uh, you know, they'd have championship calorie, you had Ali, Larry Holmes, even during the Tyson fights, you know, you, you might have one person go up, they'd have one person stand there and hold the flag and they'd have another person go up and sing the the national anthem and that was it and now it's this big you know they have they have video and they have you know light shows and music and this big drama and um uh, interesting take on it so the point of that is with the survey uh the question was do you think the military goes too far in its participation in sporting events now having just reread that i th- think that was worded incorrectly uh that's obviously uh sort of a leading uh, question the way it's written be that as it may (laughs) 60 percent said yes and 40 percent responded no so it's it's almost it's almost even uh in terms of how people see the military's participation in the sporting events and look if you have an opinion chime in send us a send us a tweet or jump on facebook and drop a comment in there or you can even email me directly at editor at theveteransreport.com. So if you have comments, uh, you have input on something like that, let me know. Also, if you have, you know, if you have topics that you think might make a good poll question or survey or something to discuss on the air, please pass it along. Always looking for good content. 
So anyway, that was the survey question from the week. The poll question, I should say. There'll be another one posted in the next 24 hours. So what happened this week? One of the big things, you know, the the VA has been languishing in terms of leadership. There's been a leadership gap there. And uh, Robert Wilkie has been going through the confirmation process. And he was confirmed this week by the Senate. They voted 86 to 9. So Robert Wilkie is your new secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs. He's going to be, he's 55 years old, and he's going to be overseeing 360 thousand employees along with the veterans health care system now i will say there's um oh, there was another story hold on a second I'll, I'll give you this guy's background though uh so wilkie's a career washington insider and he worked for a couple of senators including jesse helms trent lott and tom tillis he was also this i did not know he was <laughs> i sounded like de niro from analyze this this i did not know uh, he was also an assistant defense secretary under George W. Bush. He has served as acting secretary of Veterans Affairs and as undersecretary of defense for personnel and readiness, where he handled the health and welfare of all military personnel. I hope that didn't include the anthrax vaccine debacle, because I will hold him personally responsible. The son of a highly decorated artillery officer, Mr. Wilkie grew up on army bases and has uh, see and has joked that he was born in khaki diapers. Oh yeah, after law school he served in the Navy and Air Force Reserves. Uh so as you might recall, uh his predecessor David Shulkin was sort of bounced from his his post. He was uh, an Obama carryover who'd been there a couple of years and he was shown the door, so to speak, and uh, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who had been the White House physician, was teed up. Uh, the confirmation got ugly, so he withdrew, and Wilkie got voted in this week. So, anyway, the point is, VA has somebody at the helm, and hopefully, hopefully, the the political nonsense will at least ratchet back one or two gears. So that you know, as as a vet, that gets old. It gets old watching that. And as a taxpayer, I, I can't tell you what that does to my blood pressure, especially for an agency. I mean, it, it would be like if the if the uh, you know the Parks Department. Well, it's probably a bad example, but if the Parks Department became this huge political football, right? Uh, or I, I don't know. Pick your pick your federal department that should really be kind of neutral, right, and vanilla. Uh, you know, with the VA. Anyway, so good luck to Mr. Wilkie, or should I say Secretary Wilkie. Hopefully he, uh, hopefully he can implement some kind of changes, right, or reforms and uh, without a lot of obstacles in his way. Now, along those same lines, there was, now I, I, so culling stories, right, if you do a if you do a generic news search, let me let me preach for a moment. Um, pick a topic, right? You pick a topic. In this case, it was this mental health, the VA Mental Health Commission. So, if you look at news articles, and I'm not telling all of you anything you don't know, if you look at news articles online, you're going to see a variety of 
of tone, right, in terms of how a story, the same story is presented. So you have your liberal bent, you have your conservative bent, you have the, you know, the down the middle, we don't really care and we're just doing this because we have to side of things. Um, so I, I purposely copied this one. Uh, <clears throat> Trump named, because there were, I, I will tell you, there were a bunch of stories where it just said Trump named this guy to this commission. And that was it. This one says Trump names controversial advisor to head VA mental health commission. And I, I, I'm only pointing that out because I, I think it's, it's important to demonstrate the distinction, right? And, and it's not all news is written the same. And clearly, and I'm not, I'm not uh, advocating for it, and I'm not, I'm not sitting on the bench on his side of the field. But I can see where Trump developed this whole fake news thing. I, I get it. I gotta be. <laughs> yes. Uh, so anyway, Trump names controversial advisor to head VA Mental Health Commission. President Donald Trump has picked a controversial White House advisor and former beer company executive to head a mental health commission at the Department of Veterans Affairs. The VA announced Tuesday that Trump had named Jake Leinenkugel, some of you might be familiar with that name, especially on weekends, a White House political appointee and advisor on veterans issues to head the VA's Creating Options for Veterans Expedited Recovery Commission, or the acronym COVER. It's very clever. Somewhere there was a highly paid consultant in the district coming up with that acronym. Probably only took him six months. The announcement was made by acting VA Secretary Peter O'Rourke, himself a lightning rod for criticism from the VA's Inspector General and House and Senate Democrats over allegations of political infighting at the VA. So what makes Leinenkugel so controversial, according to this story? Oh, and I do want to point out Leinenkugel uh, spent six years in the Marine Corps and left with the rank of captain, and he formerly ran the family's Leinenkugel's Beer Company in Wisconsin. Their shandy is delicious. Uh, he came under... <laughs> I added that. That wasn't in the news story. That was me. He came under fire from veteran service organizations in February over leaks of his email exchanges with Trump administration political appointee Camilo Sandoval... Uh, who was then at the Veterans Health Administration. Basically, it is alleged that Leinenkugel and Sandoval plotted or schemed to get rid of David Shulkin, the aforementioned former secretary of the VA. And Leinenkugel said, uh, he basically, he provided a list of quote-unquote solutions for all the VA's problems that, that Shulkin uh, should be put on notice to exit once other legislative priorities were passed. Um, and then he targeted the number two guy, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the VA deputy secretary. Yeah, the number two guy at the agency saying he didn't trust the current slate of political staff at the VA. So basically, so Leinenkugel was kind of working behind the scenes uh, in, um, you know, this sort of kabuki theater of, of the absurd that is our nation's capital. But that's what makes him controversial. Now, I did see... Another headline that said uh, former beer company magnet named to VA commission. That's that was the entire headline. So, yeah, you, you know, with news, you got to take it with a grain of salt, right? 
So, but with this commission, this, um, what do we call it? The cover. It's creating options for veterans expedited recovery commission. So with this commission, he doesn't need to be confirmed. This is one of those positions that Trump can just tap somebody and say, here you go. So he's in there. I, I have a feeling that despite Wilkie sort of being a down-the-middle guy, right, playing by the rules, I, I, I suspect that this line and Kugel thing is going to get—this is going to be the backdrop to anything good that Wilkie does. It's going to be, oh, you know, Secretary Wilkie managed to get this reform through, but—and then it's going to be the line and Kugel uh, theater. So— <laughs> you just got to wish him well. It's the VA, right? What do you say? What do you say about the VA? I say it every week. I say it every week. I, I want them to succeed. I want them to do well. I want the VA to be a good agency. I do. And I think for the most part, they are. For the most part. But, man, they have some problems there. Wilkie just needs to go in and clean house. Oh, there was the other thing this week. Speaking of cleaning house, there was a big protest by the uh, the union members, the union employees, the federal union employees, because of the reforms that Trump put into place that basically said, hey, you can't do union business on company time. They, they discovered a few employees who had spent 100% of their work hours doing union business. Think about that. that. You're paying for that. You are. I am. We're paying for that. So, you know, they're, they're oh, their hands up in the air. Oh, we can't do this. It's unconstitutional. Well, you know what? Do your job, and then I guess you don't have to worry about it. I was going to cover that in more detail. I'm not sure I want to, though. Because that, that's also turning into a political football, right? Anything that any piece of paper Trump signs is going to become a debate. It's going to become a lightning rod. Which is sad. Because you know what? If you look around, you can hate the guy. You can despise him. And you can still, I don't know, root for the country? Hope that we do well? I mean, the political tone... <laughs> in the nation's capital and around the country is so nasty and so ugly. I've never seen it like this. I've never seen it this this vitriolic. Um, but you you actively, you have politicians, and I won't mention parties, but you have politicians who are actively hoping and rooting and working toward an economic collapse. Think about that. So they can be the heroes, come in and scoop up the pieces. And stay in power. I don't want people like that in power. I want people who, uh, you know, are, are running around in red, white, and blue speedos and chanting. You know, uh, remember the iron? Was it Iron Sheik when he used to do, when he when he uh, went from heel to good guy and he was saying America number one? No, lost reference. But I, that's what I want. People waving the flag. I want people, you know, rooting for the U.S. Those are the people I want in seats of power. I don't care what party they are. Man, that's that's bizarre to me. That's bizarre and it's frightening. 
Because again, guess what? We are paying those people. We are paying those people to root against us. Those are also the same people who make all the tax laws, right? Ugh, insane. But my point was, you can, you, you know, don't, you can dislike the guy in the office, right? Personally dislike whoever's holding the office. But you gotta, uh, you know, you look at the GDP numbers that were released this week, you look at unemployment, uh, I don't know, just root for the country. So the other story, there was the, where are we here? The VFW had their, mm, what do you call it, national convention this week. And so they, they invited the president, which is not, I mean, that's tradition, right? Uh, I think Obama went to five of them. Is that right? This is off the top of my head. I think he did five or six of those. I don't remember. I think it was five. But it's tradition to invite the president to come and speak. I mean, it's respectful, right? Uh, (laughs) It seems like this is turning into like the Trump news hour. Um, So the headline is, Veterans Group Disappointed Some Members Booed Press During Trump Speech. The Veterans Organization that President Trump addressed on Tuesday said it was, quote, disappointed that some of its members booed the press during the event. We were disappointed to hear some of our members boo the press. The reporters on site today were our invited guests, and we rely on them to help spread the VFW's message, said Randy Law, manager of communications and public affairs for the VFW. Uh, That went out in a tweet. During his address at the group's convention in Kansas City, Missouri, Trump pointed at the media in attendance and condemned outlets that have been critical of his proposed tariffs, singling out (laughs) CNN and NBC News. Don't believe the crap that you see from these people, the fake news, Trump said. The comment was followed by an uproar in the audience. Trump often rebukes news outlets that publish stories that are critical of him or his policies as, as, quote, fake news. Also at the event Tuesday, Trump urged the crowd of thousands of vets to support Senate GOP candidate Josh Howley in his bid to unseat Democrat Senator Claire McCaskill, claiming Republicans desperately need to increase their majority in the upper chamber this fall. So he... (laughs) He brought that one on himself, didn't he? So, uh, but if, because I, I saw the Twitter, or the, the tweet, I saw the Twitter, the Twitter that came in, part of my strategery. Uh, I saw the tweet that came in when they sent it, and it was, it was basically the guy from the VFW kind of scolding everybody, you know? Um, and then the responses were just awful. They were awful. People were really put off by that, like basically saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a paying member. I'll do whatever I want. Um, I will say though that uh, Trump stepped in it on this one. Like, just come on, man, leave the politics at the door. Can you just not do that? Just once, just go to a, an event and speak. No, he can't. So, also during the month of August, if you are in Colorado or headed to Colorado. Uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife is offering a free pass 
to all 41 state parks for the month of August to anyone who is an active duty service member or veteran. According to CPW Area Wildlife Manager Chris Middledorf, there's no easy way to thank our military members for their selfless service. We wouldn't have these beautiful public lands, rivers, and lakes to enjoy had it not been for the sacrifice of so many generations of veterans and current active duty service members. In order to get the free pass, which you hang on your mirror, uh, you got to bring some kind of proof of military service to any one of their offices, right? Any one of the uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife offices, and they accept VA medical cards, state-issued ID cards with the veteran seal on it, active or retired military ID, your DD Form 2, your DD 214, or your DD Form 2765. So that's pretty cool. So again, if you're heading to Colorado, August is free for all the state parks. Just make sure you have some kind of ID with you. And the big news for the week, the big, big, big news, other than Robert Wilkie being confirmed. Uh, North Korea the other day handed over remains, possible remains, of American war dead from the Korean conflict. Uh, six, uh, 65 years ago, oh, I thought that was the number of, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it was 55 cases. So all the remains are being flown to Hawaii for DNA testing, uh, just to confirm it, but... <clears throat> I mean, if this is true, if it turns out that these are all American service members, this is a huge leap forward in relations with that country and, and sort of fixing things. It's a big deal. Uh, if, if it turns out to be true, again, trust but verify, right? Um, so hopefully that turns out to be the case, and we can keep moving forward with our buddies in North Korea. Uh, okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, as mentioned previously, we're going to have with us Dr. Sarah Cass with Creative Forces, the National Endowment for the Arts Military Healing Arts Network. So hang in there. If you want to keep up with the latest in veteran news away from the radio, stop by our website at www.theveteransreport.com. There you'll find news headlines along with links to media outlets around the world. You can also find links to every state's veteran services office. And for you film buffs, there's even a link to a war movie database. We appreciate you stopping by the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theveteransreport. There, like the website, you'll find the latest news and information related to veterans. And for you high-speed individuals who want to limit yourself to 140 characters, stop by our Twitter account. It's a great way to find information on veteran organizations throughout the country and what they're up to. You can tweet us by using at thevetsreport. If you'd like to email the show directly, please send us your input, comments, or suggestions to editor at theveteransreport.com. Thanks again for checking out our pages. Thanks for listening. And thank you for supporting our veterans community. And we are back on the Veterans Report. Thank you for sticking with us. We have with us our special guest, uh, Dr. Sarah Cass, who is the Senior Military Medical Advisor for Creative Forces. Dr. Cass is also a retired Navy captain and a family physician. Dr. Cass, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, so Creative Forces, um, I don't even remember how I stumbled onto this, but what a what a fantastic find. Uh, it, you are doing amazing work there. 
Um, so let's let's start now. I, you know, I've said creative forces. If you could take just a minute or two, and and tell our audience what is uh, what is creative forces, the Military Healing Arts Network, and what is it, and what's the mission? Sure. Um, so creative forces, as you said, is the NEA Military Healing Arts Network. It's a partnership between the National Endowment for the Arts, the Department of Defense, and the Veterans Affairs Administration, as well as the state arts agencies in, in the 11 states where we currently exist. And we serve the unique, unique needs of military patients, veterans uh, who have been diagnosed with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress or some other psychological health condition, as well as their families and caregivers. And by serving them, what I mean is um, we are... We are applying the healing power of the arts to help people um, understand their health conditions and recover from them, and then go on to continue to live uh, healthy and, and productive lives. Um, well, and, and that's... Mission, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. The mission is to increase access to these healing powers. Um, primarily, we start in a clinical setting where we bring in professionally trained creative arts therapists to work within an interdisciplinary treatment team, as I said, helping to diagnose and assess and treat uh, these injuries. But what we found is so many patients respond so well to engagement with the arts that even after treatment is done, they want to continue to engage in the arts in a way that extends their quality of life and the, and the wellness that they've experienced. And so we work to connect them to community arts organizations who want to work with veterans to keep them engaged in the arts even after treatment is over. So now is this a relatively uh, recent endeavor or undertaking, or has this been around for a really long time? Well, you know, I've uh, retired from the Navy about three and a half years ago, and at my last job in the Navy, I was working at the National Intrepid Center of Excellence and at Walter Reed, and I had the opportunity to be a part of some of the early days of this initial buildup of this specific partnership with the National Endowment for the Arts, this Healing Arts Partnership or Network. And that started back in about 2011. But the National Endowment for the Arts has been involved in, in bringing the healing power of the arts to service members and veterans long before that, um, specifically with a program called Operation Homecoming that they've offered since 2004. So I would say the NEA's engagement as um, an entity bringing the healing power of the arts to service members and veterans, they've been around quite a while. Um, but Creative Forces itself has really just been the last, I guess we're now looking at seven years with a lot of growth and expansion over these last couple of years. So what was the, what was sort of the genesis of this program? Right. So I, the, as I mentioned, the National Endowment for the Arts, their mission is to really understand the impact of the arts and then to take and sort of almost like a laser, point the arts towards vexing problems in society where the, where the arts may be able to be helpful. They've done that in economic recovery after disasters and building communities. And so I think as we were, as society was learning more and more about the challenges that we as a nation are facing uh, dealing with the injuries that, that service members and veterans have sustained through, you know, over 15 years of war now, they realized that there was an opportunity for the arts to be a part of that healing process. And so, as I said, back in about 2011, um, really uh, 
insightful leaders from the National Endowment for the Arts got together with uh, the leadership at Walter Reed and uh, formed this partnership, and it's grown since that time. So it really was the, the National Endowment for the Arts saying, let's, let's do what we can as a part of society to help with this national crisis of um, these invisible wounds of war. Now, obviously, the word arts uh, encompasses quite a bit. And so when, you, when you're talking about the arts, you're not talking about art necessarily like painting or, or sculpture. You're talking about the, the entire spectrum, correct? Yeah, absolutely. From um, arts to music to dance to theater to writing, um, there's, there's so many different ways that people can uh, find expression and ways to tell their stories through the arts. And so you're absolutely right. It's all of those. So now, obviously, another another part of this, another key part of this, uh, and it's in the title itself, is is the term network. And uh, you know, going through some of the material, you have personnel of all sorts uh, involved in this and working on it across the country, from people in the community to active duty military, medical staff, veterans uh, who have who have gotten engaged. How do you determine who can or will play a role? in the program, and, and how, and as a follow-up, how is their role or mission defined once they're, I, I guess, uh, selected? Is that the right word? Yeah, well, um, it's a great point. I mean, there's, it would be lovely to be able to be everywhere and, and engage all people immediately, but I think um, our approach has been to start slow, learn what we can learn where we're at, and expand from there. So as we've said, we're in 11 communities as it stands right now. And those 11 sites were, were really picked based on uh, how large the deploying military population was out of that location, the kinds of clinical programs that existed there. Um, and um, we wanted to make sure that we had sort of a geographic variation as well as uh, serving different branches of the military and the veteran population. And so that's how we initially selected our site. As far as once we've selected a, slight, a site, how do people get involved? It really has started with a, a clinical program at the very core, and we bring in professionally trained creative arts therapists. That would be an art therapist or a music therapist. And these are clinicians who have special, you know, professional degrees that allow them to work in that clinical setting. And we bring them into an interdisciplinary team of providers to work with the patients. And as I said, what we learned by doing this in the early days was patients wanted to continue that engagement with the arts. And so it started with our program out of Fort Belvoir, where the art therapist there, realizing that patients wanted to stay engaged with the arts, and, and so she took them to a program called Imparts in Alexandria, and they do ceramics and metalwork there, and she would kind of provide them that safe entree into that setting and then they would start to engage with the artist there, and uh, soon she no longer needed to be there, and they just continued with arts engagement for wellness, and it was no longer therapy. It was just being an artist. And I think that that model is something we're replicating in all 11 communities where we exist, where there are artists of all kinds of different disciplines, uh, as we just mentioned, poetry, you know, sculpting, painting, music, and there are lots of great programs that are already out there working, trying to serve veterans, but sometimes they just have a hard time connecting. And so what we're trying to do is bring them together um, to, to connect this clinical 
patient population and, and make them aware of the artists in their community and what they offer. And to some degree, we're also helping that those artists in the community to learn a little bit more about the military population and how they can better serve them. So we provide education on military cultural competency, how to talk to military patients and veterans, um, helping also the military population to understand the arts cultural competency. Um, because we sometimes do sort of live in two different worlds, but it's when we break down those silos and we work together that the, the real healing in community happens. So yeah. We've hosted summits in, in around each of our 11 sites, um, and um, now we're engaging in some demonstration projects to even learn a little bit more about what we, how this works and, and how we can make it work better in other communities. One thing that we'll be building this year is something called an asset map, which allows artists in these communities where our programs exist to register their program and what they offer. Um, and then that makes it something that is easier for the clinicians to talk to the patients about, or service members or veterans can just go on the website and find it on their own. And so that's sort of how we're trying to engage community members around our 11 sites. But I also want to point out another initiative that's um, from the uh, Americans for the Arts, called the National Initiative for Arts and Health in the Military. And that also has been around for a number of years. And they, too, have a resource map that allows local artists to register and talk about what it is that they offer. Um, and so that's another avenue that people can use in, in the communities where Creative Forces itself doesn't exist. You must be reading my mind, because I, I was going to ask, how, you, how do you locate people with these, uh, these types of backgrounds or skills um, in, in what really amounts to sort of a cultural exchange between the arts community and, and the military world. But, um, from the sounds of it, I mean, people, people sort of find each other. You know, I think up to this point, people sometimes accidentally found each other, and what we're trying to do is increase the chances that those accidents happen. Um, because I think that, you know, it, we are sort of sometimes two different cultures. And one of the very first questions artists will often ask me is, somebody who sort of represents the military side is, I have this program I'm offering. How do I get on the military base to be able to bring it to the veterans? But really what we want is we don't, we don't want service members and veterans to stay on the military bases. We want them out in their communities. So it's not so much about how do we get people access to the bases to offer their programs, but how do we get the information about the programs that already exist and are being offered to the veterans, the service members, and even clinicians so that they then can connect people to these opportunities that exist in community. I think the asset map will be a, a big advantage when that's built and, and can serve in that purpose. But right now, just even bringing people to these summits in these communities and, and breaking down those silos and getting artists talking to clinicians and clinicians talking to artists and military leaders talking to you know, arts leaders, and really sometimes that's enough to start programs um, that have really that have really just taken off on their own. Um, in Jacksonville, North Carolina, at, at near Camp Lejeune, um, we had our summit down there, and after we left, somebody donated a building where artists could come together to offer classes for veterans every Wednesday night, and the art therapist on base knows about it and gets patients there. And just that connection alone has uh, really helped to, to bridge that gap in the community. So now you you've mentioned community a number of times, and I know that's one of the that's one of the primary components behind this program, and I want to get into that in a minute. But 
Um, speaking of the communities, let's start big picture here. Uh, I mean, you have locations that include places like Fort Hood, uh, Little Creek. You mentioned Lejeune, uh, Pendleton. And now, those those are the places, those bases house, uh, you know, primarily infantry guys, um, combat arms. And, and those are the folks who have been and still are engaged in uh, in combat action. How does the use, this might, might sound naive, but how does the use of arts and sort of your creative approach, right, that creative base, how does that blend or mix with, uh, you know, these folks who are, for lack of a better term, battle-hardened? I mean, are they yeah. are, are they receptive or are they sort of, is it is it a reluctance at first and then you have to sort of ease your way into it? You know, it's funny. We that uh, that is probably one of the most commonly asked questions about this is how do you get you know hardened warriors to come in and and engage in the arts? And a lot of them, when you ask some of the service members who've gone through it, they'll tell you, you know, I walked in here and I thought you got to be kidding me. I'm going to play with crayons. I'm a you know I'm an infantry man. I don't I don't do this. Um, but I think that it's a combination of uh, of a number of things. I will I will say that. It starts with the fact that this isn't just creating art. This is therapy. And we have professionally trained therapists who apply their skills to create a safe space, to create an environment and a relationship with the patient that invites them to explore. And they also remind them that this really isn't about the product as much as it is about the process. And I think... It starts there. It starts with that relationship with the therapist, and that's such an important part that can't be lost. Um, but I think other things that help is in most of the settings where we have our programs, the walls are lined with artwork that has been created created by the patients who've gone before them. And if there's one thing about the military servicemen and women that I know, it's we we thrive on our tribes on being connected to one another. And when you see that your brothers and sisters at arms have already done this, it gives you that permission to go there as well. And so I think setting up the space in a way that is inviting, creating the right team of people who bring people in and do it. And then what's amazing is how much we find that even though we say we don't focus on the product, it's the process, these patients are incredible artists. And there's some amazing stuff that comes out of those sessions. Um, but it's really done in that therapeutic way, uh, and I think that's what makes all the difference in the world. Well, and that, and that, I think that's an important distinction as well. Is this this is not? Um, I mean, this is actual therapy, right? There, there is an uh, there is a, a legitimate uh, mental health component that's built into this. This isn't just for fun. One hundred percent. When this happens in the clinical setting, this is therapy. Art therapists, music therapists, dance movement therapists, drama therapists. They are trained as clinicians, as mental health providers, as specialists in rehabilitating people from injury. And they're a critical part of the medical team. And so when this is happening in that clinical setting, this is 100% about healthcare. And even the artwork that they create is part of their medical record to, to emphasize not just to them, but to the other providers who are caring for these patients. This is this isn't something that's nice to have on the fringe of healthcare. It's something that's a need to have component of caring for this patient population. And, and I think it's, it's also important to note that there have been formal studies done uh, on uh, on the use of you know what they used to call alternative therapies, but it's it's you know the use of 
the arts uh, as a as a, uh, a means of therapy. And there have been formal studies by they're not fly by night operations. I mean, the Rand Corporation, yeah. right? Uh, the military, Absolutely. the Pentagon, um, you know, universities, independent organizations. A lot of people have looked into this, and and it works. Yes, sir. And you know, and that's it's such an important part uh, of this initiative as well, because again. The National Endowment for the Arts isn't just about increasing access. It's about increasing access, but then also understanding the value and the power of the arts. And so in Creative Forces, we're, we're deeply engaged in uh, research across this entire network. We have over 20 formal studies. As you said, these aren't just kind of simple projects. These are IRB-approved, you know, um, meeting all the regulations of research studies done in conjunction oftentimes with academic institutions like Drexel University to, to really understand what we can learn from these patients who are, who are engaging in these therapies. And so right now we have 20 projects that are underway. Uh, we're very excited. The last couple months we just, we just launched and, and posted on our website our research strategic framework and five-year agenda. Um, we've brought on a new research advisor to help coordinate efforts across this network. So you're absolutely right. This is not fly by the seat of our pants sort of stuff. This is just like any other field of medicine. This is um, driven by what evidence we can collect and how we can further demonstrate what works and, and what doesn't work. Sometimes things don't work, and we need to know that as well. And so that's where we're at uh, with our research program. It's a big part of it. Now, there are, and I touched on this earlier, and so did you, there are three components to creative forces. Um, if you could briefly outline what those are and, and how do they all uh, how, how do they all mesh? Sure. So we've talked a, a fair amount now, right, about um, the clinical component, and that's really where this started with the creative arts therapist in that clinical setting, and that's the first part of the program. The second part we touched on some as well, which is this community engagement in the arts. When we bring in people who maybe they have, they don't have that clinical professional training, but they are professional artists, and they can teach people how to do various forms of, of art, um, and we connect with them in that community setting. And that really helps, again, with well-being, with reintegration into society, and building strong communities. And it's really in that healing and community that's so important. We oftentimes say, you know, you don't, you're not well when you're well still sitting in a hospital. You're well when you're back home and you're with your family and you're in your community. And so that community piece is really important. The part we haven't talked about yet, really, um, we touched on a tiny bit, but is, is the capacity building part. Um, as I mentioned before, we're in 11 communities. We'd love to be everywhere, but what we need to do is learn what we can learn where we're at, but then take those lessons learned and the tools that we've used to implement these programs and build a national resource center that provides this information to communities across the nation and, and literally actually across the world to understand better how the arts can be applied to help heal these invisible wounds of war and give people access to that information. And so we're building this National Resource Center, as we've talked about previously, that will house also this asset map, but it will also be a place where our research uh, papers are, are available for people to download and read, toolkits for program evaluation or for establishing a program whether that be a clinical program or a community program, will be there and will be accessible to people, um, really making this something that goes well beyond just the 11 sites that we're at right now. So now what, if you could, what are some, uh, 
specific examples of of some of the work that's being done? I mean, is it is it songwriting? Is it painting? Is it uh, playwriting? Yeah, I think one of the in, in the clinical setting, one of the most well-known parts of our Creative Forces program is a mask-making initiative that actually even in, I think it was February of 2015, National Geographic did a spread on some of the masks that were created in this program. But that's just one art therapy initiative uh, that is used in many of our sites to help address identity and, and, people, and people being able to express what it is they're struggling with. They also, also do montage paintings or create ceramics, sometimes do metalwork or wood burning. On the music side of things, people uh, write songs. They do lyric analysis. Um, they do some drumming circles. They um, learn instruments that they've never played before. And then in dance movement therapy, um, they really get in touch with how just even using their, their bodies as the instrument of, of expression can help them to heal. And so those are the ways in the clinical. On the community engagement side, it is a wild frontier out there of different things that people can do. Uh, there's some great glass blowing programs, Hot Shop Heroes up in uh, Tacoma, Washington, and a similar program down in uh, St. Pete's, Florida. Um, songwriting, as you mentioned before, mass making, sculpting, uh, really anything somebody wants to do that's creative and artistic is something that can have positive value for well-being and for reintegrating into community, and we're open to exploring all of those partnerships. And you mentioned the National Geographic uh, piece. I think I saw that. I, I remember seeing that. And I know that at one point in, I think it was around D.C. or Bethesda or something, uh, there was a, there was like a showing, right? There was a, a um, uh, an art showing of, of some of these things. Is that is that done on a routine basis? Is, is the stuff on display? Yeah. It's a, it's a good question because, in general, we really want to emphasize that the, the art that's created, whether that be a song or, or physical piece of art that's created in therapy, isn't really necessarily intended for public display at all. It's, it's somebody's personal project, and they get to decide how and what they do with it. It's, it's theirs. All the things that are created are the, are the property of the patient. Sometimes they want to share them because they want to help educate others about the power of the arts. Um, so you're right. There have been some displays. There's been some uh, well-curated museum exhibits and some, dem- uh, some displays at the Pentagon um, that have shown the artwork. But largely the work that is created in the clinical setting is not intended, uh, again, necessarily for, for public display. That said, uh, it's up to the patients. What happens on the community engagement side, I think the service members and veterans and their families are often very, very proud of the work that's created and want to display it. And there's lots of opportunities. And there's even some, some nonprofits. There's, a, there's an organization called War Paint, started by a gentleman by the name of Rusty Nosner, who uh, first engaged in creative arts therapies. And, and he wanted to create a way for other veterans to be able to show the art that they've created and um, share it with others and, and potentially sell it if that's what they want to do. Um, and so there are opportunities where that exists. But that's not necessarily a formal part of the Creative Forces program. And for us, the reason for that is because we really want to focus on process over prod- product on that clinical side. No, 
No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, that's that's kind of revealing, uh, and to put that on display, I could I could understand why that might be an issue. Um, one of the big topics in uh, in veterans' healthcare, and, and when we talk about the the, the big umbrella, uh, and and I know you folks work with them, are families and caregivers. They're often left out of the equations. They're often left out of the discussion um, when the focus is just on veterans' care. But they play a large role. Can you can you walk through a little bit of uh, of how this program helps them? Sure. So, in most of our uh, clinical programs, they're they're set up as an interdisciplinary treatment program that is what we would call an intensive outpatient program. Not all of them, but most of them are designed that way, where it's a maybe a four or a six week very intensive program, and almost all of them engage some element where the family is a part of that treatment because we know that these injuries that the service members and veterans are sustained impact the whole family. And, and in order to fully heal, everybody needs to heal. And so we bring them in. As a, uh, there, is, there are programs that we've offered where the family members and children can come in and participate in mask-making or writing a song. Um, and so those things happen across these 11 sites. But we're very interested in exploring more specific programs directly designed for the families and really focusing on resilience and um, prevention of, of disease happening. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of interest uh, in caring for children around adverse childhood events. And when you have a parent who's been injured in war, that, that is a pretty significant adverse childhood event and how we can utilize art therapy, music therapy, dance music therapy to, to support those patients and, and those families is something that's really important to us. So I think over the next year, that will be an area of focus for us as we expand a little bit uh, programmatically in the places where we are. So I, I appreciate your question because you're, you're absolutely right. The family cannot be forgotten, um, and it has to be more than just come in for one day of part of the program. It really should be, I think, dedicated programs for them. Well, and, and this whole thing is, it's a team effort and we, we yep. can't, you know, we can't leave those folks uh, in the shadows. So we have about a minute left. Um, is there, now we talked, uh, we talked about the asset map. Is there a way, if somebody's listening and they're like, wow, you know, I've been doing art for 25 years or I've been, you know, I'm a, I'm a, whatever, I teach writing down at the local college. Is there a way for people to get involved I, I think the first thing is is staying informed of what's happening and seeing where this comes close to your local communities. As the asset map is is built, and if it's if, if you're in that kind of vicinity, get yourself registered onto that. If not, then stay tuned to our uh, website at arts.gov/creativeforces, and and stay tuned because I think there's more coming. But beyond that, I do want to again just plug. Uh, the Americans for the Arts National Initiative for Arts and Health in the Military, because that is a program that is uh, in all 50 states and is, is something that people can register. That's also got a resource map, and um, so people should look at that as well. And we work closely. I mean, these are two programs working side by side. Um, so that would be the other thing I'd encourage. That's fantastic. And I, I, I also want to point out to the listeners, I, know, I don't want to put you on the spot, so I'll do it. Um, <laughs> this program and what you're doing, uh, the the total investment for this is around four million dollars for this entire program nationwide, right? Um, I, personally, I think that's a drop in the bucket, and uh, <laughs> that's kind of shameful that uh, there isn't more dedicated. I, I, again, I don't want you teeing this. I'll I'll do this, but uh, anybody listening, you know, get with your rep, 
your local uh, congressperson and and sort of beat the drum a little bit. They need they need better funding for this. I mean, this is a this is a wonderful program. It's definitely yielding positive results, and it's cool. It's just a good outlet for for the warriors. It's fun. That's the most important. It's it's healing and it's fun. That's that's a good thing. So, thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, having me on your show today. No, this is great. This is great. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. And if there's stuff coming up in the future, please let us know. We'll have you back. All right. All right. Uh, Dr. Sarah Cass, the Senior Military Medical Advisor for Creative Forces. Thank you, Doctor. Yep. Thank you. And that does it for this episode of the Veterans Report. Until next time, I'm your host, Jim Cannon. You've been listening to the Veterans Report. Let others know about the show. You can find us online at theveteransreport.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to editor at theveteransreport.com. Join us again at the same time for up-to-date veterans news and information. The Veterans Report, thank you for your service and carry on. The Veterans Report has been sponsored by James Cannon.